You're listening to audio from First Christian Church. To find out more about us or to donate to our ministries, visit firstabq.org. God, we thank you for the reading of your word. And we pray that now as our worship continues, the message will be proclaimed not in word only, but in power, in love, and with full conviction. Through Jesus, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God now and forever. Amen. It is a fantastic day to worship God with snow up on the mountains and clear roads down here. Warm sunshine. It is a fantastic day to be at First Christian. And I want to welcome you and thank you for being here today, especially if this might be your first time coming to be with this family of people that are seeking God together. And we just want to invite you to be with us, a group of fellow strugglers in life, imperfect folks. And if you fit that, then you will fit well with us. We're glad that you're here today. Well, I hope your new year has started well. We're 12 days in. And as you can see, I am keeping my New Year's resolution. I am saving money by not buying razors. Yeah, uh, now, now, Donna, I don't know what her New Year's resolutions are. She hasn't told me. But I think if she had a New Year's resolution for me, it would be to shave. But seriously, she's been really great. She, she lets me be silly and lazy and not shave for a while, even though she's not necessarily a beard person, at least in regard to me. Which brings me to my question for you today. You know, it would be easy to talk about your New Year's resolution, but I'm wondering if in your mind you don't have some New Year's resolutions for other people. Right? Have you thought about this? Maybe some New Year's resolutions for your spouse of what they should do. Or what about a New Year's resolution for your boss? A co-worker? Maybe a sibling? Maybe a family member? And if we're really lucky, then they won't be here today, and you can really tell us what that resolution is. So help me out. Who will go first? Tell me your resolution for someone else. All right, Stacey. Because I feel bad about not sharing our Thanksgiving tradition. Um, I have a resolution that all of our leaders on both sides of the aisle here in our state and in our country would start getting along and doing things for the good of us and for God's good and his will instead of trying to make themselves look big and strong and powerful. Love it. Thank you, Stacey. Yeah, that's worthy of applause. Somebody else. One of mine for myself is to embarrass my kids more, so I'm checking that box big time right now. Um, I would like my kids, except for one of them who is here today and won't be be named, but... uh, three of the four to focus in school and improve their grades. And I would like my wife, who's not here, so yes, I can say it <laughs> as it is, um, to take things in stride this year, um, take things as, as they come, trust in the Lord, and know that all storms will pass. Thank you, Corbett. Stuff for his wife, for his kids. I mean, we're always praying for our kids. So mine's kind of cheating, because if you were here last week, you got to hear firsthand what mine was. And that was that first would become a, a community of believers known for making disciples in our culture, in our community. 
Great. A, a resolution for a group. Yes. That's good. Somebody else? There we go. Rachel? I'll make a shameless plug for FPU. I was hoping you were going to do this. <laughs> and uh, that my New Year's resolution is that people would decide to handle God's money God's way um, and that they would um, take FPU and find out more about that. Excellent. See me in the lobby. Yeah, you'll see a video for financial peace. And I, if you've not done this, or even if you have, do it again. And there are a couple of scholarships. So sign up today. La next week will be the last chance you get. Somebody else. New Year's resolution for somebody else. We got one more. Um, I would like to, as I enter my final semester of school, um, have my professors resolve to teach the subject and not their political agenda. And I'd like that to be a resolution for all educators. <laughs> yep. Very, very. Thank you for indulging me. Albuquerque is a mountain town. Albuquerque is also a river town. Albuquerque is also a desert town. We're one of the highest metropolitan areas in the United States, higher than another mile-high city, and a little less pretentious. <laughs> As I've been around the people, good people of New Mexico, I have learned that this is not a pretentious group of people. They have a lot to offer, but they don't sell themselves. They're not focused in on themselves. They're not hung up on themselves. Here in this high desert, we are always trying to go a little bit higher. So even though we're more than a mile high, we've got the balloon festival. We want to go higher. And that happens all year long. I'm just amazed at these people that will get up in balloons at this time of year, as cold as it is, all year long going higher. And, you know, maybe a little more tongue-in-cheek, there are many people trying to get higher through chemicals in Albuquerque. Right? Which brings us to the fact that there are some low points about Albuquerque. There's a lot of economic disparity. There's a lot of separation that might take place even geographically between groups of people. And there's crime. All of us deal with crime. In fact, in August, whenever I was signing up for my gym membership, back in the fall, the, the girl that was uh, having me fill out all the forms was finding out that I was new to Albuquerque. And she said, well, how do you like it? And I just said, man, we're loving it. The people are great. We love the outdoors. The weather is great. And she said, oh, good. I'm glad that you're enjoying it. It turns out she had, I think, been born in Colorado, but spent most of her growing up in Albuquerque and had graduated from the public school system here and was probably five or eight years removed from high school graduation. And she just said, I'm really glad that you have a positive view of Albuquerque, because sometimes there are a lot of negatives, like the crime that's around Albuquerque. And so I just used this as a chance to ask her a question. And I just said, well, what would you do to address the crime in Albuquerque? You know, you never know what someone who works in a gym is going to say. They probably don't see themselves as an expert. <clears throat> but you could tell that she took a moment to think. And she stopped what she was doing, and she said, you know, I think if I were to fix crime in Albuquerque, I would focus in on the public schools. 
So I listened and she said, yeah, I think that a lot of times people get burned out in the public school system and they drop out or they quit because they've lost a vision of how important education is. And then their horizon is almost fixed and set. They have no further way that they can advance past jobs that they can get. And I thought, wow, you're working in a gym. You've got good vision, good ideas. That's quite insightful. And I think whenever we look at our problems, we all might have different answers to these problems. Okay, if we take education system, maybe, maybe we spend more money on teachers, more money on education. We try to find teachers that love teaching. That might be one fix. Or if it's crime, maybe we need more police officers or more money spent to pay them better or more units out in the field, right? These are things that we could come up to do. But I think with, like a lot of problems, we treat those problems as out there. Like we don't have any control over them. We can't influence them. And that may be true. We may not be the ones causing the problems. We may not bear the responsibility of decision making. But we can control our response and what we do in our life thinking about how we contribute to the problems that are out there. Which brings me to my strange question for today. Do you flourish? Now that's a strange question. It's got a, it seems like an old word in there. Flourish. Boy, that'll get everybody fired up for the new year. Flourish. Yeah, flourish is one of those words with if you think about people or animals or any living plant or organism, where they grow and develop in a healthy and vibrant way, usually in an environment that helps them to grow. So, do you flourish? And I'm wanting you to think about this not in terms of wishful thinking. Like, yeah, I wish. Not in terms of excuses. Well, I would, but... Or not a smokescreen of, well, sure, yes, I flourish, and here are the ways that I flourish. And it's just a smokescreen of covering up what you really know on the inside, that maybe you're not flourishing. I want to know if you flourish. At this time of year, everyone's going to say, well, yes, I would like to grow. Because at this time of year, regardless of where you're at, even if you're one of those that says, I don't do New Year's resolutions, I've stopped doing those long ago. With the new year, we're hoping for something better. Maybe it's something better for our kids and our family. Maybe it's something better for our own work or our earning ability. Maybe it's education. But we tend to want something a little bit better for things to improve. And that's, that's what I want to spend time thinking about is our flourishing in this series, Desert City Spirituality, as we think about what it really looks like to live and breathe and flourish in Albuquerque, New Mexico. And the way that I want to go about doing that is to look at an old letter, an ancient letter. I figure if you can find a letter in almost every home, an apartment complex, 
and motel room in the entire country, if it's worth being printed and reproduced all over not just our country but the world, maybe it's worth paying attention to. And the little letter that we're going to look, to, look at today is addressed to a group of people in Colossae. It is a mountain town that is situated in the valley, the Lycos Valley, next to the Lycos River. Sounds similar. The letter is written by someone who hasn't been there. He hasn't visited this group of people. He didn't start this collection of believers. But his friend did, Epaphras. Epaphras is a native of Colossae, and he had been there, and he had helped plant church, not only in Colossae, but in Laodicea and Hierapolis. And Paul and Timothy hear about this church. They hear about their faith and their love and their hope. Faith, hope, and love. Hmm, I've heard that before. You're right. Those are the three theological virtues. If you remember Paul's letter to the Corinthians, the love chapter, they show up at the very end. Faith, hope, and the greatest of these, love. Well, Paphras says these folks are doing it. They are living it out in practical ways. Not in a school textbook kind of way, not in a lecture way, but they are living out their faith. So in this little community, they're complimented on their faith, hope, and love. And Paul brings us a message that's very important. One of the things that I get asked a lot is how to pray. My whole life, I've had people that have come to me and asked me for guidance in how to pray and what to pray, guidebooks for prayer, insights to prayer. And I never grow tired of being able to visit with people about their prayer life. In fact, each time I get to visit with someone, there's not a canned answer that I have. I'm really interested in who they are and what they are seeking in their prayer life. But what we have in these verses is an ancient leader's prayer. We find out what Paul and Timothy, and I would assume Epaphras, are praying for this group of people. And that's what I want to share with you today, is three very important things from this prayer it goes from verse 3 down to verse 13. This ancient resource that's stronger and more vibrant than sometimes my own prayer life. I don't know about you. You get where you catch yourself praying just about the sick and about surgeries or like your own personal year-round Santa list. The things that you want from God. Turning God into this great fixer in the sky. Are you, are you like that? This prayer takes us to the next level. All of those things are important, but pushes us into the spiritual realm. Spiritual practice of prayer. Look in verse 3. In all of our prayers for you, we always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, for we've heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and the love that you have for all the saints. The first thing that jumps out to me in Paul's prayer is his desire to be active in thanking God for this group of people that he hasn't met. If you want something to add to your prayer life, thank God for the believers that are in your life, that are around you. Thank God for them. That's what Paul does. He thanks God for the trust that they've placed in God. And even if you drop down to verse 13, you see that he thanks God for how God has 
bought them out of slavery. He's redeemed them and made them the kind of people where the mistakes that they've made, the sins that they've done, are no longer their identity. Paul thanks God for this group of people. And it just oozes and overflows from this prayer. Now there's another thing that Paul does. And it pops up in verse 9. For this reason, since the day we heard of it, we've not ceased praying for you and asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of God's will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. Paul, as a leader who hasn't met them, prays that they be filled with the knowledge of God's will, almost like a seed planted in their being, that they would know what God wants for them. That's quite a prayer request. He expands it about growing in even the knowledge of God. And that's not just content knowledge. That's relational, participatory, interactive relationship with God. If we think about this in our lives, it's pretty easily thought of a couple of people that are dating. Through the text messages back and forth, through the phone calls and dates, they're quite interested in what the other person likes or enjoys or what they want. And there's this learning process where two people dating want to get to know what the other one wants and wills. If we took that further and thought about a marriage relationship, whenever people have been married, even for a short period of time, and definitely as the years and decades add up, it's almost like those people can read one another's minds. Don and I feel this quite regularly. Like We know what the other one is thinking. That can be good, and that can be bad. There's a level of intimacy and trust that comes in seeking and wanting to know what that person wills and desires. And Paul and Timothy are praying that they will know God in this way. That is a deep and abiding relationship. Now, it goes a little deeper on this second one. In fact, there are a couple of words that appear twice in this passage. In verses 6 and then again in verse 10. And they're, they're earthy words. They're biological words. Bearing fruit and growing. Sounds to me kind of like flourishing, right? Bearing fruit and growing. In verse 6, we don't really get an object of what fruit is being born or what actually is growing. But if you look when those words are used again in verse 10, the object appears. The bearing fruit is good works. That's the crop. That's the produce. When you begin to seek to know God, seek to want to will the things God wants, you begin to do good with your life. That's the outflow. That's the overflow of your life. The growing part gets its object also in verse 10. That you will grow in the knowledge of God. Boy, this gets repeated over and over again. Of knowing God. I'd, I'd have to say that the single greatest thing in my life has been this journey of coming to know God. It's not an easy journey. It's a bumpy journey. It certainly doesn't ever unfold the way I expect it. 
But we don't control God. We don't manipulate God in this process of coming to learn Him and be with Him. Well, if you're keeping track, this prayer, this ancient prayer, we've seen Paul give thanks for this group of people. And we've seen him pray fervently that they would come to know God, know God's will and know God intimately. And the third one that I wanted to highlight comes to us in verse 11. May you be made strong with all the strength that comes from his glorious power, And may you be prepared to endure everything with patience while joyfully giving thanks to the Father who has enabled you to share in the inheritance of the saints of light. There in verse 11, he he overuses some words. Be strong in the strength of his glorious power. A lot of words there for strength. His prayer is that they would begin to have the strength of God, the energy of God of God. The first two are actually the same word for strength. It talks about power or even a supernatural or miraculous power from God. The third one, the power, provides us insight to God's dominion or God's authority where he's granting this power to them. Now I like this. The thought of being able to tap into an energy source that's beyond the food that I eat or the energy that one might get from exercise and working out, to tap into God's energy and God's power, that's pretty exciting to me. I need it. I'm not sure if you would agree with me, but I would want that. The thing that troubles me is that it's not instant. You know, that you would want this power, you would want this energy immediately, you would want to be able to wave a magic wand and your New Year's resolution come true for your friends, and for yourself, right? In this Cinderella-type old-school story where everything just kind of comes together. Well, let me just imagine that with you for a minute. You know, if, if you were to close your eyes, and let's just take health, right? If you were to close your eyes and say, all right, what I really want is to be healthy. I want that extra weight gone. I want to develop muscles in all the right places. And I want to have this endurance and stamina like an athlete. So I could hike or bike or walk or just get up the stairs, you know, whatever it may be. So let's just assume you get that wish. Poof. The fat is gone. The muscle is there. You have this endurance and lung capacity. You're ready to roll. I have a little bit of bad news. Because in a couple of weeks, In a couple of months, your body is going to return to exactly as it is now. You know why? Because your mind and the natural habit of your body is going to take over. And when it comes time to eat, you're going to eat the same things that you always like to eat. And when it comes to exercise, you're just going to say, I don't know that I've got time for that. And your same habits are going to take over and your body is going to move back into that shape and that level of health. Now, I know that's kind of depressing, right? We're supposed to be all we can be here at the beginning of the new year. But think about that. Your mind and the natural habit of your body takes over and it returns to how you really are. 
What we're talking about is not instant. It's a decision. It's something that takes work and takes effort. All of us might want to be better. And we might move into this level of, I'm going to strain and I'm going to exert and I'm going to push. And in a few weeks, we're sore and we're frustrated and we give up because we're just trying harder to achieve something that comes to us only when we have a decision of the will and the strength of God at our back. I'd say that it helps to try, but trying only gets you so far, especially in the spiritual life. If we take our spiritual life and just treat this as, I'm going to try harder this year, we're going to fail. We are going to fail. Because a decision to try is a decision to already decide that you're going to fail. Because if you say, well, I'm just going to try that, then the benchmark is achieved by just trying it once, and then you're done. That won't work. Trying is great to get somebody into something for the first time, but it's not sustainable over the long haul. Trying won't cut it. One of my favorite group of triple trilogy movies, I don't know how many of them are out there, Star Wars, and you can already see where the lightsaber is going on this one. Right? One, of the, one of the best ones, 1982, Empire Strikes Back, a little green master Jedi named Yoda is training Luke, who's young at the time and headstrong, and he is trying, but he's frustrated because he's trying and he's not getting results. And Yoda gives his classic line, do or do not do. There is no trying. That is probably one of the more famous lines of Star Wars. It's a valuable one. Whenever we reduce our spiritual life to trying, we've decided that we're not going to do something. We're not going to jump in with both feet. We're just going to experiment and test. And I'm inviting us to go much further than that, to not try, but to jump out and surrender ourselves to the spiritual life. Now, we've come a long way in this short message. And if I had to summarize, like I don't like to do, but if I had to summarize an entire letter in two words, I could do it with this one. This letter can be summarized by being with the two words, in Christ. Paul writes to a group of people who are in Christ. And he's heard about their faith in Christ. And then in verse 13, he is praying for them to be in the kingdom of Jesus. Throughout this whole letter, throughout this whole series, that's what we're going to be seeking to do. It's to find out how to take this desert city spirituality that is our everyday lives and live it in Christ. And I'll tell you, there's a lot out there that's going to try to convince you of your identity being anything other than in Christ. Are you familiar with this? I think that's why Paul has to pray that God has redeemed them from the, the, the forces of darkness and brought them into light and forgiven their sins. They need that reminder just like we do. Because how often do we 
identify ourselves by what we've done wrong. I'm just a druggie. I'm just divorced. I'm unemployed. Whatever that moment is that hangs in the recesses of your mind and seeks to try to identify you as this is who you are, it's not true. That identity is in Christ. The same is true of what's best about you. We might say, well, I'm a scientist, therefore I'm successful. I have money in the bank, therefore I'm valuable. I have straight A's, I'm intellectual. Even these good things are not the sum total about, of what's important about us, about what's most important. Our identity is in Christ. And God, in His graciousness, has invited us into this realm where we can be thankful for what God has done for us, where we can draw upon the resources and the strength of God to grow deeply in the knowledge of God. That is the kind of flourishing that I'm pushing for. That is the kind of life in Christ that I want to offer to you as being far better than any life you might choose for yourself. Let's pray. God, thank you. Thank you for loving us, for making us, and for choosing to live in us. Father, we want to live in Christ. We want to be full of your Spirit. We want to overflow with the fullness of knowledge of you, of knowing you, knowing what your will is. Would you bless us in that venture this year? Would you bless us as we take cues as leaders and believers that we'll set a resolution of being in Christ, that we'll pray this prayer of thanksgiving, of growing in the knowledge of God, and dwelling in your strength. May this be a way that we can live this year. Father, whatever ways that we stumble and struggle this year, would you keep pulling us back to you? We thank you that we can live in the kingdom of your Son, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen.